Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. The closing phrase of the prophecy of Ezekiel. And I hope that we've generated an interest in this prophecy and that you will read those chapters that we haven't had the opportunity to look at. There's so much of this book that I, I don't understand at all, but it's a great, great prophecy. But here in this phrase and in the truth behind it, Jehovah Shammah, here is the principal characteristic of renewal, of revival. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. A, a sense, a widespread, pervasive, permeating sense of the presence of God. I've, I've made several references during the four weeks that we've been together uh, you know, to the, the great revival that took place on the island of Lewis in 1948. And there's no doubt about it, it was a remarkable, uh, a remarkable case of the Spirit of God coming near in, in a way that was quite exceptional. But a common thread, if you listen to the testimonies, and there was a very fine television program where they interviewed some who had actually been there, and some of the interviews were quite old because very few folk are alive who remember this revival but the, the common thread that seemed to run through so much of the, the testimony was this pervasive sense of the presence of God throughout the island at that time and you know we, we, we recognize Jehovah Shammah from time to time you know, in our, in our prayer meetings and in our time of praising and occasionally in a message where the, the, the power of God seems to come, there's an anointing on the, on the preacher. There are times when, when God inhabits these things with his power and we feel his presence and we know the difference. When, when, whenever there's Jehovah Shammah experience, we, there's something within us that resonates with the Spirit of God when he's moving. His witness, his Spirit witnesses with ours, as the, as the Bible says. Sometimes we shy away because we're, we're, we're a conscious of unconfessed sin in our lives. So it's not always a comfortable thing, this Jehovah Shammah. There are times when it's wonderfully exciting and times when it is quite disturbing. It's difficult to explain to someone, but the, the experience, subjective though it is, is no less real. And I suspect as I look out, and I'm seeing a nod here and there, that, that you know what I'm talking about. Jehovah Shammah is, is reserved for those times in our lives when the intensity of God's presence tends to eclipse everything else. He just cannot be ignored. You know, I was thinking and praying about this, and there, there are, we've all been in situations where there is background music. You know, it, it's like sonic wallpaper. You know the, the sort of thing I, I'm talking about. Uh, it's there, and we can hear it, but it, it doesn't interfere with conversation. It, it, it's capable of being ignored. It can be soothing. In fact, it can be very useful at times, insofar as it can bleach out unwanted sounds, the, the hum of a, of a central heating system, or even conversation at another table in, in a dining area. Um, but, but otherwise, it's just background noise. It's just something that's 
in the background without too much interference. Now, dare I say it, without being misunderstood or irreverent, that the presence of the Spirit of God can be like that. Just like background music. His presence we know is there intellectually from the Word of God. We know His presence is there. But it can be ignored. And indeed, there, 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 are, there are many, many people who are totally unaware of his presence altogether. And yet God is at work in this world. And were he to withdraw his spirit, from what I understand of this word, this word of God, awful things would, would result. But even those of us who know and love him are capable of ignoring his presence. And then there are those times when the volume is turned up when the music is no longer background, when there are great chords that strike a melody that just resonates in our hearts, as I've been saying, where there is no ignoring God. And so it is in those moments that are Jehovah Shammah moments. God is, is there in power. I have a story about this man that illustrates this. Now, um, Luciana Pavarotti I remember some years ago, I was watching and I'd put the television on to watch a speech that was going to be made at the Lord Mayor's Banquet in London. It was being broadcast. Uh, and it's some time ago. But the, the, the cameras at the Lord Mayor's Banquet uh, went round the room. And there, seated at table, as a dinner guest, was Luciano Pavarotti. It was very interesting. I mean, he was just a dinner guest. But you know, if it had been the wish of the Lord Mayor on that particular evening to give Pavarotti the stage, to get him to stand up and, you know, bring that wonderful voice to resonate through the mansion house, what a difference that would have made. And I use this illustration to say, of course the Lord is here. The Spirit of God is here. But is he merely like a dinner guest? Or is he given the stage in our lives to bring forth the power and the beauty of his presence? Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah. You see, I fully accept that revival, that great movement of the Holy Spirit that, that surely we long for, a spiritual awakening on a scale where the sovereign activity of God is evident to everyone. I, I, I realize that, and we've touched on this before, we can't escape it in this prophecy of Ezekiel. We, we, we recognize that this from beginning to end would be a work of God. Of course it would. But we cannot get away from the fact that every great movement of the Spirit of God, and it has come up time and time again in our talking, we've referred to it last Sunday, that, that, that it's preceded by prayer, by us, the people of God, getting that desire for his presence, a great longing for him to work in our lives. But prayer without further related action and prayer is action but prayer without further related action is humbug and we keep coming back to this 
It is nonsense for me to pray for people to come here and to, uh, to join us and consider the things of God with us if we don't invite them or if we, if, if we don't bring them along or seek to win their friendship and the right to invite them. So prayer without action. It, it, it is quite unreasonable for us to ask God to bring our friends and our relatives to saving faith if we don't share tactfully and seeking God's help as to how to do it most effectively. But if we don't devise ways of sharing our faith to pray for them, there's a degree of humbug in that. It is hypocrisy to ask God to deliver me from temptation. And we thought of this last Sunday evening. If I, if I, if I continue to pick up that magazine or watch that program on TV, we've got to cooperate with the Spirit of God. If we want to see these Jehovah Shammah moments, we've got, it is illogical for me to pray, as we thought last week, for good health and yet uh, deny myself rest or sensible food or exercise, all these things. We know this. Of course, God is here. We know that. He's indwelling you if you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. He's here. But if we are to experience God's presence in this Jehovah Shammah way, then I suggest we need to recognize the, 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 the tremendous need for us to do what we can and then look to God to do the things that we cannot. You remember the, 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 the story of the raising of Lazarus. And it's so well known to us. And you know the, 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 the point I'm going to make probably ahead of me. I mean, Jesus got the people of Bethany to remove the stone. He got the people of Bethany to take the grave clothes off Lazarus. Because these were things that they could do. Have we, have we really considered that God may be waiting for us to do the things that we can do in order for him to do the things that only he can. Jehovah Shammah, you see, is a practical issue. This is the burden of the closing chapters of Ezekiel. If we want to see the glorious presence of God among us in the Jehovah Shammah format, then we are called to prepare the way, to make straight the paths to be seeking before God, what are the, the, the aspects of holy action that I'm to take? What do we as a church need to do? What do I as an individual need to do in order to clear the way? Remember that cry from the Presbyterian elder on the island of Lewis in 48 who was transfixed by the words of Psalm 24.3, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. You remember that cry? Lord, cleanse my hands. Help me to be clean. Lord, purify my heart. Help me, O oh Lord. And when the Lord perceives the sincerity and the reality of our prayers that are, are linked with action where we do the things that we can do, then we're clearing the way for Jehovah Shammah. I have been, you know, praying about this and I've been so interested in the history of, of revival and, and, and seeking God's face. What is it that's, that's missing? But let's, let's just take a moment to consider the, the situation in Wales in 1904. And there was a young man 
with no experience in public speaking whatsoever, no knowledge of any book in any great depth apart from the Bible, but he was longing for Jehovah Shammah. He was longing for, for God to come in power in Wales. And he was serious about it. And he took whatever action he could to clean up his own life. And at the end of a Wednesday evening prayer meeting, Evan Roberts in his own church just simply asked, are, are there any who would, who would stay behind this evening? Stay behind this evening and, and just share with me. I want to share my burden, he said. My burden for God to move in Jehovah Shammah power in Wales. And there were 17 people who remained behind. 17 people. And Evan Roberts preached his first sermon to those 17. But well documented have been the points of his sermon. And here they were. They're very simple. Confess every known sin. Remove every doubtful habit. Obey every prompting of the Holy Spirit and go public with your witness to Jesus. Very simple. That was the, the thrust. But you know, he, he meant business with God. And that night the Spirit of God seemed to grip several of the 17 who stayed behind. Some of them confessed afterwards. They just stayed rather than embarrass the young man. But the Spirit of God gripped that group of 17. And several of them caught the vision of Jehovah Shammah in Wales. And within one month, the statistics have it that 37,000 people professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Within six months, over 100,000 had professed faith. You know, each year, in recent years, the Times of London publishes the names of all those who finish the London Marathon, at least who officially cross the finishing line while the timekeepers are still there. They, 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 and it's, it's page after page, if you, if you pick it up, the page after page of names. Do you know that in Wales, at the time of the revival in 1904, the Welsh papers had page after page of people who were professing publicly their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a, what a wonderful time. Jehovah Shammah. God was there in power. Broken homes were reunited. The criminal courts had very little to do. Business in the pubs was at an all-time low in Wales. Prayer meetings buzzed. In fact, one rather amusing problem was that in the coal mines, the pit ponies could not understand the commands anymore without the blasphemy and the curses from the men. They had to relearn the instructions they were receiving. But, you know, that God was there in power. Jehovah Shammah. And, and when, when he comes in power, his presence cannot be contained. God was moving. Now, we read this morning from, or this evening rather, from Ezekiel 47. And there is a recorded vision that Ezekiel had about a river that flowed from the temple in Jerusalem. And indeed, the details of this vision occupy, to some extent, the last nine chapters 
of the prophecy of Ezekiel. In passing, may I say, I was talking to Joel Webb earlier today about this, but these nine chapters of Ezekiel, the last nine chapters, are, are like a separate book. Indeed, there is evidence that in the first century they, they were regarded as a separate book. Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote that Ezekiel left behind him two books. Uh, and it is thought by many scholars that the last nine chapters of Ezekiel were really Ezekiel 2. Uh, and they, they are apocalyptic in nature. Uh, there's a lot in common with the book of the Revelation at the end of the New Testament. Uh, Ezekiel and John both were transmitting a vision that had been explained to them by an angel. So there's a lot of common ground. And the Holy Spirit is into symbolism in a big way. Uh, he, he uses it widely in the Bible. We see it in baptism, of course. We see it in the Lord's Supper, uh, as we had this morning. And we see it over and over again in the prophecy of Ezekiel. The Valley of Dry Bones. We didn't have time to go there. Um, the, the, and now in this vision of this beautiful temple. And, and we've got to realize that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible has some wonderful pictures of this. A holy nation within the nation. A, an oasis within a barren desert. A clean place within a sewer, a, a, a shelter in a storm. We're called to be beautifully different. Some years ago, I think it was 2005, the, the, the mandate had that lovely theme, you remember, a beauty to rescue. Speaking of the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, a beauty to rescue. Well, Ezekiel 47 shows in dramatic symbolism more of what we as Christians are called to to display of the glory and the grace of God in and to a fallen world. The story, just reminding you of it, water is seen to emerge from just south of the altar of the temple in Jerusalem. And then it, it proceeds to flow from the south side of the temple, turning east as it goes through the gate and turning east towards the Dead Sea. And it has unnatural qualities, this emerging river. We're told that there are no tributaries, and yet it, it grows deeper and deeper. That's rather strange. After half a kilometre, it's ankle deep, and just another, at one kilometre, it's up to Ezekiel's knees. At one and a half kilometres, it's, it's up to his waist, and by two kilometres, it's a, a great river that no one can cross. And everywhere it flows, there is fertility and luxuriant growth, and there are birds and animals, there's a fishing industry, there, there are beautiful fruit trees, the production seasons are monthly. I mean, it's a most exciting story that's here. The leaves are medicinal, and this water was fresh and purifying and life-giving, the very water of life. And of course... There is a parallel with the river of life flowing from the throne of God down through the middle of the city in the book of the Revelation in chapter 22. But does this mean that it's all cast in the future? Is this just an apocalyptic vision? Now be clear on this, or I've missed the point, or I've not allowed you or helped you to grasp the point. Be clear on this, we have a part in this vision. We have a part in this vision. We have grounds in this vision of the river flowing from the temple of God to look for a movement of the Spirit of God that will eclipse everything that has gone before. Nearly forgot about this. A river whose streams 
make glad the city of God. Beautiful phrase from the psalmist. But it's a description of you and of me and of the people of God. The river of the grace of God flowing deeper and deeper as it flows downstream. Any natural stream with no tributaries, of course, would, would peter out. But this river touches the lives of others, transforms those lives. And they become fountains of blessing. And they channel more of this wonderful life-giving water into the stream. I mean, this imagery is exciting. Jesus left us in, in no doubt as to the significance of all this. He, he was in Jerusalem for the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. We read all about it in John 7. And it's connected very strongly with Ezekiel and with this passage in Ezekiel that we read from Ezekiel 47. Jesus, on that occasion, had seemed reluctant to, to go up with his brothers. They urged him, come up with us, come up with us to Jerusalem. Come and, and make a demonstration of your power. Don't limit these miracles that you're doing to the little villages and the towns of Galilee. Come with us to Jerusalem. Show off your power to the world. That's exactly what they said to him. You can read about it. You go ahead, says Jesus. You go on. Uh, but the record tells us that as Jesus sent his brothers on to Jerusalem, he then left and went up secretly. And his, his activity is the talk of the city. Everybody's talking about him. Word of his miracles had gone ahead of him. And among the, the pilgrims, there were all sorts of gossip about the Lord Jesus, about Jesus. They, 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 he was the main topic of conversation. You can read all about it in, 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 in that passage in John 7. Some had listened to the Pharisees and they regarded him as a deceiver, but others were saying, no, he's a good man. So there was this controversy that was raging among the Jews at the time and among the pilgrims. And Jesus came out of cover completely during the days of the feast and he begins teaching and answering questions in the temple areas. And he arouses even greater controversy. He speaks of the plot to kill him. And the debate raged as to whether he was or was not the Messiah. And the authorities, well, they wanted to seize him. They would have loved to seize him, but they couldn't get away with it because of the people. It was too controversial at the time. Many put their faith in him despite the controversy that surrounded him. And all of this is going on as the ceremonial events of the seven days of the feast continue. Now, it's important for us to see the connection between this occasion and the teaching of the Lord Jesus and the events of John 7 and the prophecy of Ezekiel 47. Because every day in all the seven days, Ezekiel's vision was being enacted in the symbolism of the feast here in Jerusalem. The high priest, first of all, would draw water from the, the pool of Siloam. This was the practice. And then that water would be carried in procession through the streets of Jerusalem with much singing of the Psalms. It would be carried through the streets of Jerusalem to the temple. And there in the temple, it would be poured out ceremoniously through a funnel in the base of the altar until it flowed out and poured into the streets 
And water is scarce and, and, and not easily come by. So this symbolism was, was very powerful in the eyes of the pilgrims and the onlookers. And this water that was poured from the Pool of Siloam into the base of the altar and then flows out into the streets is symbolizing the great river of blessing in Ezekiel 47. And the pilgrims would, would, would anticipate the coming of Messiah and they would quote, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And other similar verses from the Psalms. Now this is the context of the drama that's taking place here. But let the Bible speak for itself. Because it's in the context of this dramatic seven day event. Where we read on the last and greatest day of the feast. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And we're not left to wonder what he meant. This is not a case where we we, we need some student of the Bible to come and seek to interpret this. Jesus gives, or the Bible gives the interpretation by the Spirit of God. By this, he meant the Spirit whom those who believe were later to receive. Powerfully clear. The water from the temple vision in Ezekiel 47 has its fulfillment in you and in me, in the people of God, indwelt by his Holy Spirit. These are great spiritual realities that we need not just to intellectually perceive, but also work out in our lives if we're to see Jehovah Shammah. You know, maybe... I don't know everyone that's here. I couldn't name many. But maybe you're here this evening and you're not a Christian and you wonder, what has all this got to do with me? You know, it has everything to do with you. It is everything. This is an integral part of the gospel. Too often, indeed, we, we, we tend to preach a gospel that isn't quite complete. Whenever Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and had explained the the whole sequence of the events that brought Jesus to the birth and ultimately to be crucified, he says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And too often we stop there. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's part of the arrangement God makes. That's part of the gospel. You're not left to go it alone. God comes by his spirit and on repentance and faith indwells us. The very life of God enters into our lives. We're not left to muddle through on our own. God is there. And the potential of Jehovah Shammah is there. You know, Roy Searle has been with us. I love Roy. Uh, and I love his anecdotes. Um, and I was just thinking about this, actually, as I drove up here this evening. He, he was telling, he's very friendly with Richard Foster, the very fine writer and member of the Society of Friends, a Quaker. But Roy was telling us in Ballinahinch that he was walking near Lindisfarne with Richard Foster. And uh, Richard turned to him and said, What are God and you working at at the moment? Great question. Can I rhetorically put it to you? 
What are God and you working at at the moment? The Spirit of God lives within you. This isn't just some vague theory. This is reality. And he wants to turn his presence oh well away from background music, from just sonic wallpaper. He wants Jehovah Shammah to be the reality in our lives. He makes all the difference. And my plea, indeed my longing in my own life, and listen, I, I, I'm taking this. God is saying this to me or I would have no right to say it to you. I don't stand here having arrived on this. But I'm excited at the, at the prospect of seeing Jehovah Shammah in the lives of believers coming into the lives of those who are coming to saving faith as we preach the whole gospel. Repentance and faith and the reception of God the Holy Spirit and the potential to live lives that are conquering and victorious lives. And that people out there, the people we work with, the people we live with, members of our family would see the reality of what we profess. Jehovah Shammah. You know, this is why I prayed, Lord, what sort of closing hymn? And I came to the hymn we're going to sing in a moment, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well. It is well with my soul. Here is something that can be sung in the face of every situation. The world, the flesh and the devil can throw at us. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Let's this evening go home with that confidence and this week endeavor to let that be seen in all that we say and do. Let's pray together and the musicians come and let's be ready to sing the closing hymn in a moment. But in the silence, just respond, please, to the Lord as he has emphasized truths to you this evening. Lord, we know you're here. Your word makes that clear. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You you, you indwell us. But, oh, Lord, we don't want you at the threshold. We don't want you just at the perimeters of our lives. We want you to have central stage. We want your power to be seen in our lives. We want folk to discover the reality of the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, where sins are forgiven, where new life is imparted, where the righteousness of Jesus is set to our account. Come, we pray, O gracious God, and let us experience the reality of Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there, evidently so, in Jesus' name. Amen.